Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Alan Fadling, and I'm very grateful for a chance to be uh, a part of the morning and to share as part of this summer series that we've been in, learning to follow Jesus in ordinary moments. And since we have a whole lot more ordinary moments than we do extraordinary ones, it's probably a good thing to learn how to do that, don't you think? Next month will actually be the second anniversary of my wife and I, our first visit to Holy Trinity. And uh, this has been a community of grace for us. This has been a place where we've enjoyed the life of God in the midst of a community of people. It's been a great gift for us. Uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called uh, An Unhurried Life. And the first line goes like this. I'm a recovering speed addict. I'm not talking about the drug. I'm talking about the inner pace of my soul. And I'm still in recovery. I have not arrived at the oasis of easy, unhurried living. I'm still the guy calculating the fastest freeway lane or trying to figure out while in line which grocery clerk will get me out of the store first. It's not the worst thing that ever happened, but it's an indication of this inner rev that happens inside of me still. I sometimes imagine that the 47 seconds that I save will make some sort of a dramatic difference in the quality of my life or my work. But little by little, I'm beginning to realize maybe it actually won't. In my hurry, I imagine all kinds of wonderful things that will result from all the time I save. So many minutes to spend fruitfully, except that the anxious me that arrives those few minutes sooner may not be the best me to be showing up at all. And so when it comes to learning to live an unhurried life, what has proven most helpful to me is realizing that I follow an unhurried Savior. And that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about this morning. When it comes to following an unhurried Savior, when it comes to our discipleship, I've heard some talk about discipleship, and, and the primary focus is often mostly on the doing of the same sorts of works Jesus does. And this is, of course, key in our discipleship to Jesus. I mean, in the upper room, Jesus tells his inner circle, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And about these works, Jesus says, the Son can do nothing by himself. The Son only does what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does. And so following Jesus and Jesus' works is a part of our experience of discipleship. Discipleship is doing the same kinds of works Jesus does. Sometimes the focus on discipleship to Jesus is more on the words that Jesus says. What we call the Great Commission at the end of the Gospel of Matthew has Jesus telling us, his first followers and followers today, go make disciples and doing what? Teaching them. Teaching them all the sorts of things, to observe all the sorts of things that I've commanded you to do. 
And what we're invited to teach others is what Jesus learns from the Father himself. Jesus says, I didn't speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say, Jesus tells us, is just what the Father has told me to say. And so discipleship is saying the same sorts of words Jesus learns from the Father. But underneath all of these works and all of these words that we do and say in our following of Jesus, there is a way Jesus lives that we're invited to follow. Our doing and our speaking for Jesus flows from being in Jesus. And his way, his way is a loving way. It is a peaceful way. It is a humble and gentle way. And this morning I'm going to suggest it is also an unhurried way. Now, when I say that Jesus was unhurried, I'm not saying Jesus was never busy. Remember the line from the gospel reading? It says, after he healed the leper, now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed from their infirmities. Crowds, day after day. They saw his wisdom, they wanted to be taught. They saw his power, they wanted to be healed and delivered. And so while Jesus was unhurried, he was often busy. There's a difference. Busy is simply a matter of schedule. Hurried is a matter of soul. And so when I talk about unhurried living, I'm not suggesting an emptier calendar. I'm saying we, we could have a fuller soul. And so in the gospel reading after Jesus, or I'm sorry, after Luke describes this very full day that Jesus spent caring for the crowd and their needs, Luke says this about the rhythm of Jesus' life. Do you remember the line? One translation puts it this way. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. I've got to be honest. For the first decade of my Christian life, I really don't think that verse was in my Bible. I don't remember reading it. I don't remember anyone talking about it. And yet listen to the simple sentence. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely, to solitary places to pray. Often. Wow. It's not something he does once in a while. It's a rhythm. It's a pattern in his life. And it's a rhythm that we're invited to follow in whatever God's Spirit enables us to do it. It's a part of his way and when I imagine Jesus withdrawing to these solitary places, these quiet places, these places to be alone in the presence of the Father, I imagine that perhaps he hears, or at least he remembers, the voice of the Father that launches him into ministry. At his baptism, you remember? You are my beloved Son, whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And then Jesus speaks out of that word of affection and delight 
and speaks to us of the love he hears from the mouth of the Father. He says to us, you are beloved of my Father. You bring great pleasure to his heart. And often it's in the solitary place that we hear again those words of affection and delight and care. So when we think about Jesus' works, we think about Jesus' words and the invitation to follow what he does, what he says, how is it that Jesus learns what the Father is doing? How is it that Jesus understands and discerns what the Father is saying? And I would like to suggest that it happens in these moments where he withdraws to listen to the voice of the Father, to look into the face of the Father. And so what does this say about our own life of following him? We might decide this unhurried way of Jesus would be good for us too. It might help us to find a way to follow Jesus to the lonely places, often, as the text says, to be with the Father, to listen to the Father, to talk with the Father. You see, when we withdraw into lonely places, we step away from doing places into being places. We step away from speaking places into listening places, from serving places into receiving places. We withdraw to take a long, deep inhale of the goodness, the generosity, the loving presence of the Father, just as Jesus does. We learn to resist the temptation to believe that our life is nothing but exhale. If as I'm standing here speaking, what happens if I don't inhale after speaking this sentence? Or if I continue to speak and I'm not inhaling yet? I'm still talking and I haven't inhaled. And pretty soon I'm getting a little frantic up here because I'm running out of air. But sometimes my life feels like that. Somehow I imagine that the whole of my life is an exhale. But the rhythm of Jesus is engagement with the practical and real needs of the crowd and disengagement to be in the presence of the one who loves him most, the Father who is delighted in him and who has great affection for him. And so I'm learning to follow Jesus' rhythm of work and prayer. I'm learning to follow Jesus at times into solitary places to pray. So what might that look like? Well, it could look like occasionally setting aside an hour, maybe part of a day if you can, to just be with God for no other reason than to be receptive, attentive, to listen, to be present. It could look like taking a moment at the beginning of the day or the midst of the day or at the end of the day, just to be still and remember that God is still God. And he's a lot better at being God than I am, even though sometimes I try to do his job for him. When I'm still, I remember, and it helps. It could look like taking a walk that isn't for aerobic benefit, but for soul benefit. It could be a walk in which you listen and look and let your heart and mind open up into the presence of God. 
It could be a time to speak your worries and to listen for the presence of the Prince of Peace. It could be a time to speak of your hopes and dreams and and to listen to the one who, as our Ephesians reading says, is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so, for example, after Jesus was baptized, you'll remember that the Spirit walked him into a lonely place, a wilderness, and there he was tempted, right? But Jesus was unhurried enough to see that temptation was coming. He was unhurried enough to recognize temptation for what it was, an empty promise to a quick fix that wouldn't last. And we can follow Jesus' unhurried way to rest in kingdom promises that lead to fruit that will last. In my own journey, one of the temptations that has dogged my own uh, soul is the temptation to anxiety. Anxiety is when my soul is running on a hamster wheel. I'm running really fast, just not making very much progress. I'm really busy, but I'm not getting anywhere. And a while back, I began to realize that anxiety just has become a habit. It had become a habit. I really didn't need a reason anymore to be anxious. I just was anxious. Somehow I had experienced it as a sort of default mode from my earliest days. I had come to believe that it was the only way people would know that I cared about something, that I worried about it, that meant I cared about it. But over time, I began to learn to follow Jesus' unhurried way. And just as a simple insight, I began to realize anxiety is completely out of place in the kingdom of God. It's as out of place as a polar bear would be on Waikiki. It's as out of place as a parka in Palm Springs. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't even work. What a gift to discern and then to follow the unhurried way of Jesus. Jesus was also unhurried enough to love He was unhurried enough to see the person crossing his path as someone the Father might well have brought to him. He was able to stop and to listen and to care even when he and his disciples were on their way somewhere. The disciples were often frustrated about this. They had a goal. They had a destination. They had an agenda. And Jesus' unhurried way often put that agenda on hold because there was a person in real need right there in the moment. They didn't understand his unhurried way of love, but love is never in a hurry. Let me take a few moments to turn to the reading from Ephesians 3, that prayer. It's one of my favorites. In this prayer, we see that love lies at the heart of this unhurried life. It's the engine of Paul's communion with God on our behalf. One of the things I've realized about my own prayers is sometimes they're more focused on situations. 
There's something I want God to do, or there's something I want God to change, or there's something I want God to fix. And, and there are certainly some situation prayers in the Scripture, but there are many, many prayers like this prayer in Ephesians, which are perhaps we could call them soul prayers. This prayer is one of them. As I listen to this prayer, I see what was on Paul's heart for this big, busy city church in Ephesus. I hear his dream for them. I hear his hopes for their life in Christ. I see what he envisions as they would grow up into full maturity as followers of Jesus. And I like to summarize that in just three main places of focus. First, I see Paul asking that Christ would be more and more at home in their hearts and in ours. Paul asks God to richly and powerfully strengthen us within so that we might be more at home in Christ and Christ might be more at home in us. The gospel language for this is abiding at home. And I'm finding that living in Jesus' unhurried way enables me to be more and more at home in him and he in me. The second request I hear Paul make, Paul prays that we somehow we would grasp the immensity of Christ's love. Paul wants us to enter into that measureless dimension of the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the width, the, uh, the width, the length of his love. He wants us to know that there is no place so deep and dark in our lives that Christ's love has not already gone deeper. He prays that we would discern that there is no place so high and overwhelming to us that Christ's love isn't already breathing easy at that altitude. There is no place so far down the road from where we find ourselves now that Christ's love isn't already there and beyond. The kingdom of God is a place where the unfailing love of Christ is present. And I realize this more fully when I slow down a bit. Finally, Paul asks that we might be filled, filled full to the brim of all God's fullness. Paul prays for a fullness that bubbles up from within us. We live in a world that thinks fullness is out there somewhere. I need to go find it, locate it, somewhere in some unknown location. But Paul's prayer is that the fullness that is already ours would bubble up from within us to the very brim of who we are. That we would know this fullness and live from it, and lead from it, and serve from it, and relate to others from that place of fullness. Nothing in this prayer works in a hurry. It takes time to become established in our way of life and of following Jesus. And so Jesus invites us to follow his unhurried way, to learn how to follow him in the face of temptation, whatever those may look like in our unique journey. He invites us to the place of following him in his unhurried way of being with the Father. 
He invites us to follow his unhurried way of noticing the person right there before us and engaging with them in the spirit that Jesus might. I'd like to end by praying our Ephesians prayer as a way of welcoming God's presence and empowerment so that we might live and work in this unhurried way. And after I finish praying, we'll allow for a few moments to reflect and rest in these words. Let's pray. And so, Father, I pray that out of your glorious riches, you might strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being in such a way that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, would have power together as your holy people to grasp just how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen.